Are you? <laughs> I no, I am. Kind of like I force indeed, you into this. Pretty honored, you know, whatever. Nice, nice. Yeah. What day is it today? Today is Saturday, August 11th, and you're listening to Life in General with Ron Tang. I have my very first guest on today, Mr. Christopher Laxer. What's going on? Uh, Everything's good. Is it all good? Yeah, yeah, very good. I'm very flattered to be here, by the way, Ron. Thank you for having me. Yeah, dude. And Um, showing me your podcast rig. And also, you're very inspirational. Um, Starting a podcast, starting anything is difficult, so... uh, Kudos to you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, dude, that was a nice walk, eh? Yeah. Got your caffeine. You're good. I can never have enough caffeine. No, I have one of those personalities. I just want more of stuff. Cut out all the stupid shit I say. Yeah, all the stupid shit. And I can also cut out. Ends up being in sync. Sure. Always in sync. I love that. That's the thing about editing, Ron. If only we could edit our lives in real time. Yeah, you think so? Well, I mean, because we get the second or third or fourth pass at it, this is the thing about editing. Like if you edit words, for example, if you write and you edit your own words, you actually come out smarter than you are in real time because you've, you've looked at the same words four, five, ten times and you've gotten better. You've gotten smarter from reading your own words. So if only we could do that in real time, like in your life where you could like... If only I could like just do that and then talk to a girl. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's always better when you just freestyle I find yeah, and like that whole like three second rule, <laughs> and and when you realize that basically it's not up to you, Ron. All you have to do is is show that you are interested, show that you're interested, and you're a good guy, and that's it. And, and that's then it. you wait for a lady to come along and and find you that's, and rescue you. Just sort of do your little dance, and then it's up to them <laughs> to say next, next. Well, look, it's more complicated. Next you, than, but but there is some truth to that, right? And I think that's why men like to go to strip joints, right? Because that's like sort of our, that whole f- false feeling of that we can do like, no, no, next, yes. See, this is an interesting thing because actually I hate strip clubs. So, and it's a bit weird. Stop lying. No, no, you no. Know, we can pause this. No, 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 no. <laughs> I have nothing wrong with the uh, beautiful naked female form. I like that very much indeed, too much in fact. But here's the thing. I don't Ditto. like strip clubs. And the reason I don't like them is because when I get any attention from a woman i like to think it's because i'm charming and you know a a cool dude and so in in a strip club none of that matters so the only way you get attention in a strip club is is by giving money to strippers and to me that's like upside down world where like everything's the opposite of the way it is in real life you know it's because we sort of just like (laughs) guys like it is sad it is sad but the reality is a lot of guys like they're flaunting anyway that's what they're flaunting right Sure. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> look, uh, um, anyways, I, I just, I don't like strip clubs. To me, they make me uncomfortable. And in fact, and again, it's and nothing to do with the ladies. You know, right. I understand right. a lot of them it, are very pretty or whatever. Yeah. But to me, it's like the, the atmosphere. Like I, when I t- talk to a woman, I, I, I like to think, you know, that she likes me. You know what I mean? Like genuinely. And, it, and if she's not, that weirds me out. Like that's a weird, that's a weird thing to pay for. <laughs> but we end up paying anyway. Just in well. different ways later, <laughs> even when they do like you. Yeah, but it might be worth it for that. For look, okay, maybe who knows? To each their own. To each. So uh, yeah, man, I d- actually decided to have you on today because I, well, firstly, like you're one of the more interesting guys I've met, and uh, so you were, uh, you did a PhD <clears throat> yes. at U of T, and then traveled abroad for uh, X amount of years, taught. And well, then, I went traveling first, and then I did the PhD. Yeah. Okay, because I thought you did that, and you're like, fuck it, and then now I'm going to 
go abroad for X amount of years because you're just sick of this. And that's like your, you said yeah. um, you got into the family business, which is like everyone taught. Uh, well, yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> well, uh, half of them. Half, half of, of them. them taught. So my grandfather was a professor. My father was a professor. My uncle's a professor. Um, most of my cousins of my generation, I think 50% of them have PhDs. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the family disease, if you will. Disease. Um, you know, it was the kind of thing we were good at because we would, when I was growing up, we talk, the family would talk about history and smart stuff. It made me better at talking about those sorts of things than people whose families didn't do those sorts of things. So I, I had a strength with the blah, 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 right. and I could talk my way into a PhD program. What Was it something that you were into or was it sort of like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to follow the path of... Well, actually, I was in Japan. I was living in Tokyo. I thought as a kind of alibi that I would apply to graduate school from Tokyo. And it seemed so unlikely that I would get in because I was never a really good student. So when I applied to the University of Toronto, which was, you know, it's the best school in the country, supposedly. Supposedly. And it has the highest, you know, barriers to entry. I thought, no way. And, and they rejected me. I think I applied to do a master's there and they rejected me. So when I'm applying from Tokyo, I'm going to like the Kinko's in Tokyo right. and I'm trying to print out, you know, I was, I was so fixated on getting all the little details right so I could apply for the program from overseas that I wasn't really thinking about what I was getting into. Yeah. And then when you did, you just sort of just ran. <laughs> well, look, in many ways it was amazing. No, was I mean amazing like run with it, not yeah. like run away. Sure. Well, look, it was very, it's, it, U of T is very interesting and doing a PhD However ridiculous it might be, however arcane or useless the subject might seem, there is a certain pleasure you get out of, you know, you could devote years to trying to figure out some really complex puzzle right. and you can actually do that. And there's a, you know, there's something amazing about that. How, how many years in Japan? Uh, well, in Japan, I lived three years. And then you were in, because you, you've been to a few places. Yeah. Yeah. Many places. Well, not I've, too many, but. Question, because I know this is like a millennial's dilemma, like. I think a lot of people question, okay, so should I just go into something, save up for like that 401k, buy a house, or someone that also traveled abroad for X amount of years and then followed like their passion. It's so hard to choose, you know, in your mid-20s, okay, so which path am I going down? Do I want do I want to start saving for retirement, get that job, like a steady job yeah. with the 401k, with a mortgage and all that, as opposed to, okay, should I just fuck off now and then come back, do all that later, or should I just continue to live that like what is that philosophy that you were talking about um serendipity (laughs) yeah serendipity that is look there's a lot in that run okay right i know we only got to like a part of it yeah 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 uh there's very interesting look i don't know any secrets to life i don't think anybody does but one of the ways in which you can try to get at wisdom is you read books and i read a lot of books and uh they expose you look Reading books and traveling are kind of similar in mm-hmm. that they force you into <clears throat> seeing the world in a different way, mm-hmm. okay? And if you enter a book and you enter a different country and you, you have a, a different way of perceiving the world, right. this broadens the scope of your mind. No, definitely. Because every time every time I've gone away, I yeah. came back, I see, I look at things a little bit differently. Right. I'm more open. Sure. Um, like I, I'll try things. I mean, until I fall back into that. Yeah. you know that limbo and then it's like fuck i know it's time to get away again right but but but, but here's the thing that people don't really realize is, is that because the whole world the universe and everything in it happens in your mind i mean it's like a simulation that your brain is running what 
sort of exercise you put your brain through. Because if you just have some kind of dull, mechanistic approach to winning at life that narrows your cognitive focus, it also narrows your world. That's the world you live in. So it doesn't matter how successful you are in that narrow thing. That's, yeah. that's well, be it's what literally it like well, everything that happens, it's like from your perspective, just say something as simple as the parking lot. You know, some people are fighting for like that same spot. It's, you know, a feminist would look at it and be like, oh, it's because like that should have been happening. And then, for example, a person who's fixated on veganism could be like, it's because that person ate too much meat. It's kind of blocking his like aura or whatever. And then right. now they're getting like angry. It's because, you know, they're too... They're too hot-blooded, you know. They get the meat aura. Yeah, the meat aura or whatever. You know, if they were on a cleaner diet, they wouldn't have been so easily triggered. It's literally like from your world, like the thing you're looking at, from whatever world you're living in, in your mind, it's like that's the perspective they have in any situation. Right. I find. Um. Yeah, so so look, I, I think that both travel and learning are good because they expand the mind. And if you think about the mind being the world that you live in, that that's the world you inhabit. So right. if, if it isn't big and expansive and beautiful, you haven't fed it with beautiful things. You, you know what I mean? Like okay. so, so, so it's not just a question of how much you can acquire in terms of 401k and all of those sort of more narrow things. Those are important things. But if you ask me my personal opinion, I haven't lived my life for the 401k. Right. Because you sure. – and then when you came back, you did your stint at U of T. And let me tell you, PhD – is not what you do if you want to get rich. It's not. It just isn't. I mean, I, there's ways, but it's like, what? Is it a little far fetched? I mean, like, you <laughs> well, the guys that started Google. Okay. You, yeah, okay. yeah. But you probably got to uh, write a book to get rich. To as get a, rich with a as, as a as a prof. If you wanted to be a uh, yeah, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Yeah, like a capitalist. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I mentioned yeah. him before, and it's like you know, it. I want to see now he's got all this status. Yeah. And he's become a bestseller. Like, you know, where, where is it going to take him? Like how he is as a person afterwards. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean. And then you slowly lost interest in that field. Well, it's not that I lost interest. It's that um, they didn't have. Because let me tell you, being, being in, yeah. pursuing your artistic career is majority of the time. Like you're not, you're not rolling in it either. No. But it doesn't look, I, I don't think that that matters. To some degree, when the, the best parts of my life have been the often the parts where I didn't have money. So I was, for example, when I was living in England or, and I was making very little money. Right. But to me, that was part of the experience. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah, and it yeah. was part of my life and it was a good part of my life. And if I'd had money and I was some kind of obnoxious yeah. teenage twit who like had just been given everything, like would my life be better? Like maybe, it, probably not. You were saying the rich people, they do what's called armchair <laughs> traveling. Yes. Which actually can. limits their experience because like everywhere they go, it's like they're just surrounded by luxury and comfort where it's like they're not actually going out. They're not they're not getting that scooter. They're not riding that out to like, you know, Havana right. all the way out to the city because they're just like surrounded by – Yeah. it's armchair traveling. It's, it's a uh, bubble, bubble of money. Bubble of money. It's they cool. just interact with waiters. Glamping. Glamping. Nothing wrong with glamping, by the way. Yeah, I glamp. I glamp. <laughs> so now after you did that – wait, you're teaching a course right now on – or you're going it to? It starts in October. Right. It, on Handmaid's Tale? Well, it's about um, Canadian fiction adapted for the screen. So one of the things – so this is like any book that's that's famous and Canadian that's been adapted for a movie or TV series. So Handmaid's Tale, Alias Grace, uh, The English Patient. There's eight – there's going to be eight lectures and I 
you know, it's like eight weeks in a row. Yeah, it's neat because you've been on the show and then who would have thought now you're teaching a course yeah. about the show. Yeah, it's very interesting. So when I did my undergrad degree, um, which was in, I was always sort of English or philosophy and I would go back and forth. I found those the most interesting. Uh, frequently, they're the they're the worst courses to be in, but if they're done right, they could be the most interesting. Anyways, but during my undergrad, um, there, there was this one professor. He was a film studies professor right. at University of Alberta. And I, I remember going to his lectures, and, and he would show these movies, and he would talk about movies, and he was so smart and so interesting. And I was like, God damn, that guy's got the best teaching job ever. And so then I thought... After, when I graduated from the PhD, I don't really want to teach English English, even though that's what my degree was in, because you know sometimes that's just poetry, and there's you know I get yeah. sick of poetry sometimes. I mean it's okay, <laughs> but whatever. But I want to talk about movies. You know what I mean? So then when I pitched this course, I was like, oh, here's a way that you can combine uh, books, film, and this weird job that. So I've been on set and I've seen how they make things. So right. I think there's very few uh, professor types, teachers who can sort of do talk about all three. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the film, the book, and actually what it was like to be on set. So it might be interesting. I mean, who knows? I haven't taught it yet. Right, right. I mean, there could have been just like five people in the classroom. Yeah, it's going to be real sad. It's going to be some sad, <laughs> sad teaching. Actually, these are old people, but... It's, is it usually? Yeah, it's like, uh, it's usually older. The, uh, uh, my brother's taught here before, and apparently it's all like continuing education. At U of T? No, no, it's uh, Mississauga Lifelong Learning or something. Oh, okay. Never heard of it. Yeah. Your brother Your brother's also a teacher. Uh, he was. Now he works for the government. Okay. And then your brother was a dancer? One of your brothers is a dancer? My older brother had been a dancer. Yeah, in his 20s, he was, uh, he was a dancer. Yeah. So showbiz. Showbiz. Baby. And academ- academia. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm yeah. trying to combine both, baby. What What other countries have, have you been to? So the first place I went to was... Okay, so my, my dad took me on a trip when I was 13 or 14 to Russia. This was in 1993, two years after the fall of communism. And it's still weird to go to Russia. I don't know too many people who've been to Russia. Certainly to see it then, that was really cool and interesting. And that maybe sparked some of my interest about travel. Because a couple years later, then when I was 19, I went to uh, London, England, where I, I worked at the British Museum in, in a cafe uh, and was very poor, but um, but rich in life and right. experience. Yeah. Um, and then two years after that, I went to Ireland, where I was a security guard in Dublin. You were a security guard in Dublin. I was a security guard in Dublin, <coughs> which is a bit weird. But um, yeah, I, I don't see it, but that's no, awesome. <laughs> I didn't see it then. It was funny. I went in for the the job interview, and I was trying to like look all big and shit, and I was like <laughs> the skinniest I've ever been in my life. Twenty one, I was like the skinniest guy, but. Back in those days, this was the beginning of the boom in Ireland. Yeah. And uh, they couldn't hire Irish people to, to become security guards. So it was all like foreigners. And like there was this – like you think about it. What, what, do a, what does a security guard need? He needs good eyesight and he goods, needs good communication because yeah. he's basically a human alarm system. What do they do? They hired me and they hired this French guy. <laughs> I loved him. But he couldn't speak English right. or Irish. Not that that's language, but he couldn't speak either and he couldn't see very well. So basically, the guy was so useless. I remember we would like, we would have all these like call signs and stuff and I was Bravo 11. I'd be like, Bravo 11 to control, everything's clear. And anyways, I don't remember which Bravo he was, but they would be like, they'd be like, you know, control the Bravo 13. And he'd be like, qua, qua, the guy, he like, he, <laughs> and he couldn't see. The, the, the funny thing was the guy couldn't see. So right. 
you know, if you asked him, like, you know, there's a suspicious looking dude on the road. Quoi, <laughs> Exactly. So it was amazing. So they hired me and a bunch of misfits. Right. To, to guard their Just banking complex. Whoever was foreign got the job. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Which is a nice switch for Ireland. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you know about Irish history, or even the history of North America, they were often sort of lower socioeconomic status, and mm-hmm. they, they did all the jobs that people didn't want to do. So it was <clears throat> nice that for a couple of years, they got they got to get everybody else to do those jobs. Like, you, you never thought that you'd end up in film biz or making short films. No. No. Uh, well, those are two different questions. Okay, marriage. I mean, I suppose if I was married, it probably wouldn't right. be, you know. Who can, who can, who has the whimsy that they can not be focused on making money to, to, to take care of their family? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. to some degree... It's because I'm I'm not married that I can right. do can do this kind of stuff. Because every time every time I've been abroad, like I, I've traveled a bit myself. Um, usually I meet someone and I find it's that whole like romanticized like oh my god I'm abroad I met someone. Yeah. Let's try the long distance thing. Um, or let maybe I'll relocate. There's always that maybe. But majority of the time when I'm abroad, I usually I meet somebody. You know, we date for a while. Something happens, and then you slowly just drift apart being canadian when you tell your friends that you you meet somebody in a in a lower sort of a lower socioeconomic country yeah the first thought that they have is like they want a green card they right. they want to be here right they want to lock you in there's always that thought that doubt you know and at the time you're you're so into it, you're like no no i know this person like it, it it's not it's not but then um you know when i when i brought this up to you you were the first person to actually tell me, it's like, dude, we're not that special. Why do you think it's like, dude, it's like, yeah. if you meet, say, for example, you're in Japan, you meet a hot girl in Japan, right? Yeah. You guys start dating. Yeah. How do you know she wants to come here? Dude, she's hot in her own country. She's got everything already. Sure. It, why do you think you guys are that conceited? You think that everybody that meets you elsewhere wants to just come into Canada? It's like, it's not like that. It's like some people don't even care to come to Canada. They don't, they don't care. We're, we're more snobby in that regard, thinking like, yeah, we're the shit. Everybody wants to be here. Yeah. The world revolves around us in North America, sure. here in the States. Yeah. There's, <clears throat> there's a lot of truth to that. I, I do think that that, is, that, that attitude exists. I, like, I, I, I don't agree with it. Part of the reason is because I've lived in other countries. Like, the, the first thing that happens when you live in another country is you realize that your country's way of valuing things is different. I get culture shock when I go home because you go home and you realize – Wow, Canada's really weird. Why do we think all these things are important when they're clearly not? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, why are we doing things in this arbitrary, stupid way? This is like one of the great things about traveling and living in other places. It's a form, it's a way of getting wisdom and perspective on your own culture. And one of the Yeah, things, I had major culture shock. Yeah. Um, going, sure. Not, not going to Hong Kong. When I took a train from Hong Kong to, to China, to Guangzhou, one of the provinces, right. and the culture shock was like, I was like, wow, okay, I get it now. You know, whereas before you see a lot of, we call them mainlanders, yeah, uh, the Hong Kongers. And when I see them, you know, it's the very stereotypical, like, you know, you're at a buffet and they're just, everyone's trying to get the best of the best of whatever they're right. eating. So they selfishly just grab it for themselves, right. squatting, smoking, littering, spitting and all that. And I realized when I went there, it's like, ah, okay, these are sort of the rednecks of that country. Like these are the <laughs> yeah. people that are out in the boonies yeah, of that great, country. It's great that every culture has rednecks. And the, yeah, that that's the, their version of it. They're out in the rural areas. It's like, oh, so they never, that's like their culture. Yeah. You know, they're a little bit, still a little bit behind, unless you're in those developed cities like Shanghai, Beijing, because it's such a big place. Is, is, are they behind or is that the future? 
Here's, here's the question, because if you believe in progress, you believe, oh, things are getting more and more civilized, blah, 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 blah. But look, in, sometimes Rome falls and the rednecks from, from whatever culture take over. I mean, it's happened in history. Right, you know? right. So, so I agree. Look, it, like I, I want to agree that, that you know, this idea that, that somehow the rednecks of any culture, whatever that means, and I don't want to be culturally insensitive. I'm yeah. sure yeah. your neck will turn red, whatever, <laughs> whatever skin color you have. But... I just don't think progress is a guarantee is, is guaranteed, and if you look at history, it's not. So, I hope that things we just come back civilized. in cycles, right? Well, they can, you know. There, there's <clears throat> like tr- like like fashion trends, how people wear their hair. I mean, things come and go. There's right? a certain amount of cyclical, but but there's also our industrial civilization. We've built on burning lots of energy. We throw lots of energy at problems, and this is solved. A lot of problems for us, and it maintains a lot of complexity, cultural complexity, but it but it requires a lot of resources and energy. Right. And if we can't sustain that, at some point, your culture your reverts, reverts to reverts. a lower form of complexity because you can't afford it anymore. And that's when real bad shit happens. Right. So let's hope the energy is free and forever. And you know, Canada is a cold, hard country to live in in many ways. We're actually all sort of shifting uh, outside third world. Not many, unless there's, there's a few countries in Africa, like deep in there, like, uh, yeah. the Congo. Yeah. There, there's a few of them that are still sort of, but even then they're slowly shifting outwards. Yeah. All the third world countries that we've known and seen on TV, like Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, you know, I've been over there recently. Sure. They all have like a majority of people, they have like iPhone. Yeah. Uh, the latest iPhones. Lots of people have cars, you know, sure. it's not because what they show on TV is usually like the worst of yeah. the worst. And it's usually for, you know, for to get people's money. <laughs> um, you know, they pull on the heartstrings. There was this writer. He, he did a, a TED talk. Uh, he wrote a book. Um, Hans, Hans Rosling. I forgot the name of this the book. The graph guy, right? He does all the, the graph graphs. guy. Yeah, he's the one that yeah, came yeah. up with the charts okay. of like every single He's He's from Sweden. And he did the the graph of every single country, how much it's actually progressed right. from a hundred years ago right. till now, and it's insane how many countries have already moved out of the third world, and not many people know about it. They keep thinking like, oh yeah, you go there, it's like, yeah, the wages are still lower, but dude, they're actually they're not that behind. They have everything we have, yeah. like they do. This is the one part of the story that that doesn't get emphasized, particularly in this political moment where you either have. Trumpist type trade protection. You know, it's anti-globalist talk. It's about free trade agreements are bad and it's hurt the American worker and by implication Canadian workers or local workers in first world nations, all of these sorts of things. And there's some truth to that argument. But what people don't talk about is that the globalized system, even Mm -hmm. though it was in many ways corrupt, it was one-sided for – you had billions of people lifted out of poverty in the past – 30 years mm-hmm. by this system. Billions of people lifted out of absolute poverty. Right. And so the idea that globalization and free trade and all these things are some these are just boogeymen that that they're only bad is total nonsense. Yeah, I mean cuz majority of companies um, cuz what this guy does like he'll go around to different companies and you know people want to know statistics so you know of course they'll know what to like sell to consumers on an international scale yeah and he said he was actually surprised the amount of ceos and businessmen that are wrong about statistics of the world 
just right. like um, you know, in every country, like how many per what's the percentage of uh, girls that can get uh, you know uh, post secondary education? And it's like people right. people don't know. People are like oh I don't know. They don't they don't get it because they can't. It's like no, they can afford it. It's like it's it's all good. So the book is actually called Factfulness: Ten Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than They Are. I just looked it up. Right. But yeah, when he was going around the world, um, giving this kind of information and telling, trying to raise awareness of where we are right now, he's like, yeah, majority of businessmen, CEOs and all these people, they don't know the current state of the world. Like they don't. I have a little bit of theory about this, Ron. I think we know less and less about the world. Now, you, we talk about how things go viral, right? It's all about right. things going viral. And that's come along with the internet, more or less, and the, and the fact that each person is now their own cultural producer. So you're producing a podcast, somebody else is producing a, a news-like show or whatever, and the more viral it is, it means the more it sticks in your memory, the more it wants to make you spread it around. Now, just because it's spread around easily doesn't make it more true than other things. I'll just give you an example. Like, humans have a natural tendency to look at terrible things. As our media system has become more and more viral, more and more based on just clicking for clicking's sake, and, and it's these sorts of aspects of our reptilian brain that loves, or that can't avoid, look at, you know, sex and death, sex and death, sex and death. Right. That's what, that's what gets our attention. Now, if you combine that with the fact that um, nuance is being lost, because people will just read headlines just take the headline for truth. Oh, Jordan Peterson is a racist. Okay, I read that in a headline someplace. He so is. it must be true. I yeah. don't need to read his book. Whatever. Now, we just have slogans and mind viruses. Right. That's what we do these days. And it's, you know, the, the Roman Empire was brought down by, in many ways, physical diseases. It's quite possible that our civilization can be brought down by mental diseases. The internet breeds a certain kind of... I'm not saying this is all the internet's about. There's plenty of cool shit happening on the internet. But like there is a tendency for it to breed kind of mind viruses, like conspiracies that are so appealing to people, to certain people, that they spread. Whether they, And they're not true at all. Right. But they still spread because because people want to spread them because it's yeah. the kind of shit yeah. that it's, it's – You can – yeah, I noticed that. You can make a conspiracy out of anything because yeah. so many things relate and correlate to each other that you can sure. just sort of put it together and be like, oh, this is a conspiracy right here. Yeah. And they recently did this one uh, test. They put like a tabloid and then inside it's like, dude, there's no information about this. The tabloid is right. completely false. Right. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you've actually seen this part, then comment this. And the majority of people are just commenting based on just the headlines. So you know that 90% of the people that are engaging didn't even fucking click into the article. Yeah. They just commented based on like what the headline says sure. or even when you post something, uh, you know, whether it's um, your artistic endeavors, people are just like, yeah. oh my God, this is great. It's like, did you even? Yeah. Well, if, if your group, let's say your social circle, when they hear the words Jordan Peterson, they think this racist, hateful guy. And that's, yeah. but that's what, you, that's what all the people you interact with think when they hear that name. And that's what that name means to them. To some degree, you should say, well, Okay, but this doesn't bear much relationship to the actual guy. This is wrong to talk about him in this way. But it doesn't mean that people aren't smart. People are smart. They know that their their people are going to talk about the guy in this way. And so if they want to sound like they're reasonably well informed, they're going to know what which opinions they should have about this guy. And you're representing his views. You should at least have enough respect for the guy to actually read what he said before yeah. you before yeah, yeah, you say yeah. some stuff. 
But look, famous people have come to stand for, for meanings, quite little relationship to the man themselves. You know right. I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's and Like it's, Mother Teresa, you know, she's a great symbol. You don't want to, like, I, I don't know any, you know, but I see things on the internet that are like, oh, Mother Teresa, it's just conspiracy theory <laughs> shit. But she's a human being. So, like, any anybody's going to have, there's more nuances, more complexity to everything. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. The media system's fucked is what I'm trying to say, Ron. Mm-hmm. Should we launch a little bit into the serendipity? Just a little bit of the serendipity? Yeah, let's, let's get into it. Here's, I, I looked up Horace Walpole this morning because I Yeah, you were to, saying. Yeah, okay. I just, so, I sort of brushed it off. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, whatever. Like you've mentioned a dozen of other names. Like who, who is this Walpole guy? <laughs> okay, okay. Now this is a very interesting story. Horace Walpole, weird dude. He's the son of Robert Walpole, who was the British prime minister in the 1720s. 1720s, they had this big, they had one of the first financial panics. It's called the South Sea Bubble, I believe. Um, I'm no expert on this, but I know that Robert Walpole, Horace's father, was running, you know, he was the British Prime Minister. So anyways, this is a son of the British Prime Minister. He's this weird dude. He ends up writing the first Gothic novel in history. One of the first, anyways. The Castle of Otranto. He also builds, because he's this rich, you know, English you know, aristocratic right. fuck, right. essentially. He uh, he builds the first neo-Gothic architecture in England. Now, I, in, in the next century, in the 19th century, neo-Gothic architecture, and that's the kind of sh- stuff you can see if you go to U of T and you see like, it almost looks like the buildings are all like old churches. They're yeah. like medieval. Like Big Ben is in a kind of sort of neo-Gothic style. Yeah. It kind of looks like medieval. Anyways, let's get back to serendipity because this is what it's all about. He basically comes up with the word serendipity. He coins the word serendipity. And he does it in a letter to his friend Horace Mann in 1754. Okay? Horace Walpole writes. And he's trying to write and he's trying to capture this idea. This is why when you coin a new word, you're trying to capture something that didn't have a word before. You know? So it can be useful. Right. So anyways, uh, Horace Walpole says, serendipity is when you find something you didn't realize you were looking for. So you go out into the world and you find a thing and you realize the whole reason you went out into the world was to find that to find, thing that right. you found accidentally. Right. So it's almost like the opposite of planning. This is That's why I whole, find it interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why I find it interesting. Because in our society, we're told that you're supposed to have a life plan. Okay? When you're 20 or you're 18 and you think, oh, okay, when I'm 27, I'm going to be married. When I'm 32, I'm going to have yeah, this. Yeah, everything's laid out. Blah, 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 blah. And then what happens, in my experience, is that a lot of people feel depressed because either they're not hitting those those markers or they are and those markers aren't good enough. People aren't satisfied. They did get married at 27. It sucks. At 32, they're the lawyer and they hate it. Like, there was no of, sense of fulfillment. Well, it could be. You know, uh-huh. there's, there's people who, who do that and maybe they are fulfilled. But, but what I'm saying is, is that often I think that this planning it makes the future, it seems existentially, like the future is narrowing. Like right. it's worse to get old. Right. Like, oh, when I'm old, I won't have any opportunities and, uh, and, and there'll be less and less for me. And it's this very depressing, you know, thing. And this contributes to North America's obsession with youth. You know, we're like one of the most youth-obsessed cultures. The culture was like, oh, if you're wise and you're gray, that's great. And we're like, shut up, grandpa. Anyways... So serendipity is the opposite of that as a worldview. It means that you don't know beforehand, beforehand what the world 
everything that the world... See, the problem is the, as a plan is a prediction of the future to some degree. You're predicting that the future will be like this, and then if you do the things right, you're going to... You know what? But you can't predict the future. And why would you want to? There's this great Shakespeare quote, uh, which is, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamed of in your philosophy. Mm-hmm. And wow. that's the serendipity point of view, which right. is you don't know at 20, you don't know at you 18, don't. you don't know at 85 you, you everything really that's don't. in the world. Right. So be open to it and go with what's good. I heard this recently. I think it was something with uh, Ben Shapiro. It's like, yeah, you know, when people tell you like to follow your passion, follow your dreams, I think what they're trying to say is like what, it, like what you were saying before, whatever you do, just have fun with it. Because it's like to follow your dreams and passion, to tell people just like, yeah, I like this, or you're going to go into it not knowing whether you're good at it or not. I think a lot of people um, that go into the field, like you should just really get out there and do something. The one thing that you're doing sort of rolls in, like you sort of find your thing by just getting out there and doing it, not just by like, okay, this is it. I'm going to be a lawyer. This is what I want to do. I'm going to go to school for it. Then, you know. It's better to just like try this, try that, and then you slowly find your thing. Like any industry, there's so many different aspects to that one industry. It's like you might just find your thing, yeah. right? You do this, and then you might switch departments. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm really good at this, and I'm really enjoying it. And so you sort of yeah. just fell into that instead Those of just guys like, in transport make a killing. They, they do make a killing. I don't know if they enjoy it or not. <laughs> They're working <laughs> two 22-hour days. Yeah, the lifestyle, but it definitely pays. You know, sure. some, something crazy. They're like, dead by 35, but whatever. But whatever. They're making five grand a week. It's all good. <laughs> but yeah, you sort of just go out there, yeah. um, you know, you pursue different things. And you, but the, the, the more important thing is you just have to get out there, right? Yes. Do something. And then don't think that you know everything about the life or about yourself or about the world because you don't. You don't, Horatio. You don't know everything. Right. And in fact, be open to, to like who's to say when you're 20 or you're 18 you know what the hell's going on Fuck, no you don't. you don't you don't know shit you don't know shit now I don't know shit like you know what I mean I, right like to be wise is to be well actually here's an interesting thing here's a Horace Walpole serendipitous fact that I learned this morning okay <laughs> to bring it back to Horace Walpole the man who coined serendipity his best friend growing up was this guy named Thomas Gray Okay, and Thomas Gray and Horace Walpole went on a grand tour of Europe. This is what rich uh, young men, especially, but which they would go on what was called the tour, the grand tour of Europe. If you were a rich Englishman, you know, to finish your education, you'd go and you'd visit Florence and you'd, you'd visit France and you'd go to Switzerland and you would become cultured, you know, but anyways, it doesn't matter. Horace Walpole and Thomas Gray go on this. They go on their grand tour together. These get like best buds or college buds, right. essentially. Now, Thomas Gray wrote this poem called like Ode on a Distant View of Eton College or something like that. That's where we get the phrase ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss comes from Thomas Gray, who was the best friends with the guy who coined the word serendipity. serendipity yeah. As smart as that. These guys are smart as fuck. The whole quote from Thomas Gray is where ignorance is bliss Tis foolish to be wise. This I'm going to have to take a moment with that. Yeah. yeah. It's a very interesting, but it's, a, it's this interesting idea right. that there's wisdom, which is kind of sad, and then there's ignorance, which is kind of happy. You know what I mean? And yes. when you're a child, you're in the state of ignorance and ignorance The bubble. Blessed. You're in that. Yeah. You're in the bubble. And maybe you're, yeah. But then again, there's also people who live their whole life sort of in that. Like, oh, I'm happy with this. Yeah, this is it. And da, da, da. Yeah, it, it, losers. I have to say, <laughs> Thomas Gray, 
Thomas, I just just to just to pump my man Thomas Gray, who's like he was known as one of the graveyard poets. That's your reputation, dude. You're a graveyard yeah, poet. A graveyard in the poet. Eighteenth century, dude. That, anyways, amazing, dude. And I just learned today that they were good friends and they went on the ground tour together. So I was who would have thought? Rich upper class white twits went on a trip to Europe together three hundred years ago, and that made me happy. That's it. Just that. That's it. This ignorance is. This is what we're gonna leave <laughs> everyone with. Ignorance no. <laughs> is bliss and uh, serendipity. And that's it. This is amazing. It's serendipitous. Serendipitous. Live your life in a serendipitous manner if that's your thing. Whether and if it's not, your, don't. I, uh, not, or stay home. Stay, watch TV. Yeah, stay home. But uh, yeah, I'm going to cut this short. Uh, I think that, yeah, that's the podcast. This is episode six. Usually mine are short because, you know, everyone's got the patience of a fucking millennial with high-speed internet. So what we're going to do is just keep it at this. And, uh, yeah, dude, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. Learned a lot today as per usual. Things, I'm a deeply trivial person. But things nonetheless. Um, yeah, always interesting. I'm always learning something new. That's, you know, that's why I chose to have you on. But uh, Well, thank you. Thank yeah, you, let's, let's continue this on a patio. Let's do it.